think I'm going to come down with you tonight, if you don't mind. I want you to turn to Philippians, if you would, chapter 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I want to, I believe it will, and I want this to be a help to you. On Sunday nights, we've been going through the book of Philippians. And a very interesting section here of Scripture, Philippians chapter 1. Sometimes in our, our decision-making, our choices are not cut and dried. Uh, we struggle over them, and uh, we don't know what to do other times. We know exactly what's right, what's wrong, and there's no question about it. We may struggle to do the right thing, but we know what to do. And then there's times, and there's multiple options, and... Uh, it's not wrong to do any of them. I got a call <clears throat> this week from one of my boys, and he had a, some opportunities before him concerning his work, and all of them were good choices. And he said, what do you, what do you think that I ought to do? And we talked at length about, on the telephone about that. None of them were bad. They were all good choices. Paul was at a juncture at a place like this where he, he had two good options. One was more desirable than the other, but uh, there was one choice that uh, he made, and he took the one that was less desirable, but, but it was a good choice. And he tells us the decision that he made. I want us to read about that in Philippians chapter 1, if you would. Look at it, Philippians 1, look at verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the key verse of this book on joy. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. And that's kind of the idea. I'll come back to that in a moment. He said, I really don't know what to do. I have some choices before me. For I am in a strait. I explained this a couple of weeks ago, a, a tight place. I'm feeling pressure from both sides between two options. Number one, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. So I, remember, he's in prison uh, with a possibility of being executed. He wasn't sure. Later on, he was executed. And uh, he knew that uh, I'm saved. And if they take my life, I'll just go to heaven. But then he says in verse 24, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So that was another option. I could stay here having this confidence. I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. There's three basic truths here. Uh, some of these I gave to you. I'm just going to kind of set this up and then give you a biblical principle. Number one, death causes us to evaluate our priorities. When you think about your death, your mortality, you begin to think about what's really, really important. You think about your relationships. Paul was thinking about death. Notice the last phrase, verse 20. He says, whether it be by life or by death. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. 
And one of the things I taught you here is that whenever you surrender your life to God, you surrender the terms of your death to God. And so you want to live for the Lord, and the date of your death is as unto the Lord. And so death causes us to evaluate our priorities, and that's what he's doing here. He's thinking about, okay, is this my time to die? For most of us, we'll get older, we won't have to think about execution. We'll just think about old age or some other means. But death will cause you to evaluate your priorities. The second principle in the text is this. Is during this time, it's difficult to make decisions. And we already read that where there was this tension that he had. He wasn't sure exactly what to do. Notice in verse 23, he says, uh, I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. He said, I'm in a strait. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. I'm not sure. And God hadn't yet told him later on in the end of the passage, we see back in verse 25, he said, and having this confidence, and I'll come back to that uh, on another Sunday night and show you how he came to the confidence of what he was supposed to do. And that's the whole tenor of the passage here, or this little section. But he wasn't sure about what to do with two good options. Look at verse 22, a tough choice. If I live in the flesh, if God leaves me here, and the Caesar doesn't execute me, that is the leader of Rome. This is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I what not, W-O-T. Now, there's some words in, in the King James Bible that we don't use any longer. They're called archaic terms or old English words. And sometimes we just toss them, but uh, they're rich words, and this is one of them. And the word simply means to make a public declaration about something that wasn't previously known. That's what it means. And uh, here's what he's saying. He said, I I can't publicly announce something because I don't really know the answer yet. Look at it again. Verse 22, if I live in the flesh, if I stay here, verse 21, me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If God doesn't take me and... uh, I'm not killed, not executed, but if I live in the flesh, this is a fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose. Now, really, in the true sense of the word, he didn't get to choose. That was up to the Caesar, humanly speaking, but ultimately it was up to God. But he had to choose his attitude. He had to choose how he's going to accept it. And he said, I, I what not, I really don't know what to say about that. I have an interest in it. But it's up, to, it's up to God's direction. And here's the, here's the principle, and then I want to give you just one, one question, and then we're going to finish this up later, okay? And this, this will help you. And here it is. Number three, clarity comes when you face these options from following God's principles. Whenever you're in a fog, now if it's right and wrong, you know what to do. But if you have two good options... You don't know what to do. Clarity comes when you follow the principles of God. And one of the ways that God has given you and I to know the will of God is to use our mind, our sanctified mind. God says, I want to give you clarity, but I want you to think about it. For example, Romans 12 and verse 2, he says, Be not conformed to this world. But be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. And renew your mind through the Word of God. That. And the word that has the idea of an order that. It's a, it introduces a purpose clause. That you may prove. And it gives three words that describe the will of God. The good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. So don't be conformed externally to the world, but internally be transformed by the Word of God so that your mind may prove. And the word I want to emphasize there is the word prove. The word prove there means to discover in an experiential way. It means that I can prove this. I can test this in a laboratory because it's true. I can test it in my life. But the way that you prove it, the way you experience that, is through the renewing of your mind. You think it before you live it. So clarity comes. Clarity comes through the principles. And as you bathe yourself in the Word of God, He begins to renew your mind. And when He renews your mind, the Bible says that you may prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, I made... Uh, this statement a handful of times, not a whole lot, because it, it can sound arrogant, and I don't mean for it to, I mean for it to be encouraging to people that the will of God has never been difficult for me to know. It's been difficult for me to do sometimes, but not to know. And uh, I've talked to other people that sometimes it's been a little harder to know, but it's not been difficult for me to ever know. And I think part of the reason is it's this, it's this here. Because when you fill yourself with the Word of God, the Bible says you begin to prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And then you have multiple options that are good, and then those lesser options begin to fall away. Let me give you a couple of other examples that support this, this biblical thesis. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17. Paul wrote the Ephesians church. He said, wherefore, be ye not unwise. And you're unwise with your thinking. Don't be unwise the way you think. But understanding, understanding what the will of the Lord is. You know how you comprehend the will of God? You do the will of God with your body and your soul. But you, you, can't, you can't do it until you know it. You understand what the will of God is. A sanctified, purified mind. I'll give you one more text. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. Colossians 1, 9. For this cause, we also, this is a prayer he prays for the Christians there. For this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Now, notice one of his chief prayer requests here. And to desire that you may be filled, watch this, with the knowledge of his will. Not just doing the will. You want them to do the will of God, but you can't do something you don't know. And I want you to be filled with the knowledge of His will. So you have these multiple options that are good, but you get these options from, the, from, from Scripture. And, and God begins to help you to walk within His ways with what you're supposed to be doing. And then good things begin to come to you. Remember... Uh, when I met Paula, I, uh, I wasn't looking to be married, but I, that old adage, I don't know who came up with it, but it's true, that uh, when Adam met Eve, he was, he was asleep in the will of God for his life. 
Now, there was, in a sense, where he had just named the animals, and there was a sense of, of dissatisfaction where he wanted to be married, obviously. But he couldn't do anything about it. And God put him asleep within the will of God, and when he woke up, there she was. And that is a powerful principle to me. That I think when you, when you begin to say, okay, God, I'm just going to do what you want me to do. Then, then thing, things come together for you with your work, with your family. Um, we, we at one time thought, well, we're not going to have kids. We couldn't have children for a while. And we did have a number of miscarriages and children in heaven and so forth. But God worked all that out. But, you know, it, it was harrowing for a while. You just don't know what to do. And I can't explain all this to you other than to say you, you have got to be content, not just with your state, but just fill your mind with the Scriptures. And in a sense, just, just live on a daily basis. And then God opens one door and then another door. And then one day you wake up at the end of your life and you realize this has been a good life. It's been a really good life. I believe in goals, but I think we can be so goal-oriented we miss the will of God because our flesh is so powerful. And sometimes in ministry, uh, preachers want to be great, and God wants you to be humble. And when you want to be great, I'll show you that in a moment, you, you miss things. Now, okay, here's the question, and this is really the, the idea of the message tonight. Well, if you, if you have these, if Paul's here, he says, well, I have two options. I can go to heaven, which is far better, or I can stay here and minister to you, which I love you. And it's not quite as good as heaven being with Jesus, but that's a good option. Which one should I take? And uh, we know he ends up in verse 25, but I have this confidence. He comes to the place where he gets his answer, but how does he get his answer? Well, he asks himself three questions, and they're not phrasing questions. I kind of created the questions out of the text. But if you will ask yourself three questions out of the principles here, it will help you. And I just want to give you one tonight, okay? And, and this is a powerful question. I think if you will ask yourself this question, it will transform your life, and it will keep you in the will of God. Because this is, this is what Paul asked himself when he had two questions. Options And this is so uh, anti what the world teaches. And it just grieves my heart. It's not because people aren't here tonight. And we have good people here. We have people here. But there are people that aren't here that are going to miss this. You know, some preachers, they, they get upset when well, I work so hard for this message. That's not the issue. This, this is going to save somebody's life here tonight. And, and they won't hear it. And, and I'm not enamored with, with crowds. God knows my heart. But this truth is so profound, yet it's so simple. And here's the question. If you will ask yourself this question and apply it when you have these options, it will transform your life. And here it is. What is best for others? What's best for others? Okay, I've got these options. I have two good options. Well, that one's, that one's attractive. What's best for Paula? 
What's best for the kids? Well, I like that one. What's best for my church? Um, What's best for the kingdom of God? And putting myself last rather than putting myself first. That's transformative. And I'm telling you, that's what Paul did, and it kept him in the will of God, and it helped him to bear fruit. Such a simple thing. Notice in your Bible, look at verse 23. Let me show it to you. Philippians 1, 23, I am in a straight twixt two, so I have two options. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, here's what I want you to see, which is far better. That's a good verse on heaven there. But far better for who? For him. I mean, they're going to chop his head off. He's going straight to glory. It's far better for me. Notice in verse 24, the next verse, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh, to stay here for a while, is more needful for you. You see, you see the contrast there? See the thinking of others? Thus the question, what is best for others? The word needful in verse 24 means indispensable. It means required. What is more needful? What is indispensable for others? What is required for for others? If Paul were to go to heaven, it'd be better for him. But if he stayed here, it would be more of a blessing to the church at, at Philippi. So here's what he said. I'm going to sacrifice my personal desires to do what's best for other people. Now, th- this way of thinking of, of delayed gratification is an evidence of spiritual maturity. And uh, you, you can be 40 years old and not have this. It's not a matter whether you're 16 years old. People talk about young people. Well, I know older people that don't do this. They're very selfish. Selfishness will keep you out of the will of God, even when you have good options. I'll be honest with you. If you don't have a, if you have a selfish mindset, you're not sanct- you don't have a sanctified thinking, you're not going to have a lot of good options. Number one, people don't want you. You're not have a lot of options to get married. You're not going to have a lot of good jobs. Even if, if you're really skilled, after a while you're going to get a reputation. Selfish people really limit their options. Evidence of maturity is delayed gratification, but not only is it evidence of maturity, it is a requirement that God has given to be used of the Lord to make an impact on people. Paul said, I'm going to delay my desires and I'm going to serve longer. I'm going to limit my privileges so that I can, I can have an impact on other people. God, I'm going to leave the option with you, whatever you want. Now, this one's far better for me. This is more comfortable for me. My son told me on the phone, he said, well, if I take this option, this is far better Pay better. It's more recognition. But what's more needful? What's more needful? And by the way, promotion's not always wrong. I don't mean to intimate that. But what's what's the best? What's best for your family? Is that move going to help your family? Is that good for your kids? It may make you feel good. 
Is this about you? Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. He wrote it to us too. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And now he's applying it to himself. He's not, I'm kind of ready to go home. I'm tired. I've been fighting battles. I've got this thorn in the flesh. I have a lot of pain. It hurts me. Some people believe his wife died. Some people believe his wife left him. Some people believe he wasn't married. Either way you cut it, he was alone. Had a lot of opposition. I'm kind of ready to go home. Check out and just go home be with Jesus. Be far better. But what's more needful for you? I probably need to stay here in the flesh a little while and always abound in the work of the Lord. Involves sacrifice. Look at verse 24. To abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Don't, don't run past that. We, we just read that real quick. Yeah, he just abide in the flesh. That wasn't easy for him. I mean, he had, he'd been beaten. He had been mocked. He'd had a, a, a fruitful ministry. That wasn't easy for him. Look at verse 22. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. So the fruit of his labor was, was being in the flesh. When I go to heaven, I'm not going to bear any more fruit other than the people I've left behind. And, and you will receive rewards from people that you've trained and won. Okay? But he said, the fruit of my labor, I've got to stay here in the flesh. That means that there's going to be some physical pain. There's, going to, there's got to be a thorn in the flesh if I'm going to minister in the flesh. So... It'd be far better if I, if I took off. I kind of like that idea. And later on in verse 25, he said, I have this confidence. And I'll just clue you in when I get to this section. He, he decided to stay here. Guess what God led him to do? God said, I don't want you to come to heaven now. I want you to stay here. But one of the, re- one of the ways he, he determined the will of God for his life, he said, what's best for others? It's not about me. What is my contract? I'm troubled by by preachers today that are always interested in, you know, what's in it for me? What are the perks? Well, before I come, I need to know. And I love our staff for that. Uh, I've tried to model that myself. It's not about me. You'll never know the will of God as long as you make it about yourself. Someone said this, you'll never find the will of God until you lose your own will. I want you to notice, uh, look at verse 24 again. This This is probing. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. It's more necessary for you probing question Paul said I, I, and, and he was humble about it but he said I, I need to stay here it's better for me to go to heaven personally but it's I, I'm necessary for the church right now 
I need to stay here for the church. Now, in a humble way, could you just respond this in your heart? Are you necessary to Friendship Baptist Church? Now, you may not be a teacher, but are you necessary to this church? Are you essential to this church? If, if you left, would people miss your contribution? Would they miss what you, you bring to the table? Some people move, some people transfer, some people decide to go to another ministry. And their absence is not felt. Other people leave and, and they, leave a, they leave a hole. What kind, of, what kind of hole would you leave? And sometimes people get angry. Well, they don't miss me. And, and again, I don't mean this in an arrogant way, please. I, God knows my heart. Well, well that's on you. That's, that's not my fault. That's on you. You had an opportunity here. But you, and, and here's the problem. You didn't practice another's lifestyle. It was all about you. What people thought about me. How I responded when I got my feelings hurt. And you will get your feelings hurt, church. And uh, everything was about you. What, what is good for others? So what tipped the scales for, for Paul with this decision was not what's good for me. Because he, he stated up front here, he said, hey, this one's, this one's good. This is really far better. But this is more needful. But it, it, involves, it involves a thorn in the flesh. It involves late nights. But this is more needful. Look, look at one page over, chapter 2. He gave us this. And one of my life verses, look at verse 4. Philippians 2, 4. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. Look not every man on his own things. But every man also in the things of others. The word look means it's your mindset. It's your approach. When you walk into the building, don't look on your things. You know, there, there's two attitudes when you walk into a building. One building is this. Here I am. Those people don't have friends. Here I am. The other attitude is, there you are. Those people have friends. Big difference. One is a selfish mindset. Here I am. Who's going to sit with me? Who likes me? The other one doesn't even know if he has any friends. He just knows he is a friend. The other one is, there you are. Look, look. Focus. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Verse 5, let not this mind... Lord, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? The mind in verse 4. That's the way Jesus was. You see, th- this is the way love behaves. And, and you cannot love people, which is, is, is at the core of the Christian life, loving God and loving people. And, and you can't love people if you don't live this way. The definition or description of love, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5. Charity suffereth long. Charity is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Charity is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. Now watch it. 
charity seeketh not her own. Charity seeketh not her own. Charity seeketh not her own. Now that'll help you with your decision making. Why, well, I sure do hope they get me something nice for my birthday. Hope my kids take care of me. You're kind of setting yourself up for disappointment. I hope my spouse does this. Why don't you think about your kids? Think about your spouse. Look, look. Look not every man on his own things. You see, these, these are these options. And when you live this way, you take yourself out of the equation. And then if there is one there, this is far better and it's a reality. Well, that would be better for me. There's nothing wrong with it. But what, what's best for other people? Where would my family like to go? Paula knows. Paula, Paula hates Golden Corral. She just hates it. Now, if, you, if you like it, it's good. I like it. Zach likes it. April hates it. So when she says, where can we go eat? If Zach's with us, we always say Golden Corral. We've been one time. After church, I want you to gather around her and have a prayer huddle. The truth is that she would go again. She told me on my birthday, she said, you want to go to Golden Corral? I said, yep. And she said, okay. I said, no, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. But it's not about me. This is just not about me. And so forth. What What are the options? Before you, what are you dealing with right now? Let's take the one off that benefits you. And what would benefit others? This is the way Jesus lived. Jesus is in the upper room the night before he was crucified in Luke 22. Notice this. I'm almost finished. Watch this. Luke 22. He told his disciples, a very sacred, sacred moment. Behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. Remember that moment? Truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto that man, speaking of Judas, by whom he is betrayed. And the disciples begin to inquire among themselves, which of them it was that should do this thing. Now let's stop there. That's a mistake. They're not thinking about our Savior, our Lord... Is about to be betrayed. They're thinking about themselves. Well, who's the scoundrel? Matthew 26, 8 said, is it I? Is it I? Their, their interest is piqued. So rather than compassion and loyalty, it's all about them. And then it degenerates further. And there was also a... Str- this is in the upper room. Just hours before he's to go on this false trial... There was a strife among him, that is, the disciples. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Have you ever read this in the upper room? Now, this was birthed out of the fact that, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to betray. And the whole idea, well, I'm the greatest. And Jesus said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles... 
lost people, the world's style of leadership exercises lordship, authority over them. They that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. That's just a title of honor and recognition. They do it so they can get a title and recognize for it. And watch this. Jesus said, ye shall not be so. Don't be like that. He that is greatest among you, he turns it upside down. Let him be as the younger. The younger got all the, the bad jobs. He that is chief in God's economy as he that does serve. And then he asks a question. For whether there's greater, he that sitteth at meat, who that's at the table, or the server. Well, even today, it's a person that is sitting down. It's not the one that's waiting at the table. Is not he that sitteth in meat? Jesus answered the question. Watch this. Jesus said, But I am among you as he that serveth. You see, Jesus served and he put other people first. You know why? Because of Philippians 2 4. Look, look, look not every man on his own thing. Everywhere he went, he had a lens. He had a lens for others. Okay, who needs help here? Who's distracted? Not, not, where's the, where's the in crowd? Who's discouraged? I think I'll go spend time with them. Who's down? You know, you know what would transform the church? Is after a service, if you didn't go to your friends for about five minutes, go, go find somebody you didn't know and get to know them. And find somebody that, that was cast down a little bit. I made a phone call yesterday. I returned a call. Somebody called me and I returned their call. And they weren't on the phone yet. They weren't answering their phone. So I left a message on their phone and they finally called me back. And then uh, when they got me, they said, uh, I said, well, hey, yeah, I called you. Yeah, phone tag. So are you Okay. I said, well, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm okay. I was just returning your call. That's what I was saying. I just returned your call. Are you okay? Yeah. Well, there's the way you sounded on the phone, you know, the way you talked and so forth. I said, well, I said, sometimes when I'm tired, I said, I try to fake it, but I don't do a good job. That's why I, I wasn't doing a good job today. Look not every man on his own things. But on the things of others. J-O-Y. You see, this is the way you have joy. Jesus, others, yourself. It's in the text. Verse 20. Look at the last phrase. Christ shall be magnified in my body. Jesus is first. Verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus is first. Others are second. Verse 24. To abide in the flesh is more needful for you, and I'm last. That's what Paul said. So, <clears throat> if you want clarity in a situation where you say, well, I really don't know what to do. I have two good options. What you need to do is kind of, the option that features you the most is move it back. Sometimes you may need to follow that option, but move it back. And the question you need to ask is, is... What's best for others? What's the best option for other people? And uh, 
It's an evidence of spiritual maturity. And it will bring you greater joy. And it will lead you to a better decision. Heavenly Father, I pray you'd help us. Thank you for this little